This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to People Talk. People Talk is about getting ahead at work, becoming a leader, establishing your personal brand, and motivating yourself and those around you. Hosted by Angela Hall, who has decades of experience working in the field of human resources, you can expect lively discussions about topics like workplace politics, dealing with difficult employees and clients, creating an inclusive workplace, and jump-starting your career. Here's your host, Angela Hall. Hello, everyone. I'm Angela Hall. Welcome to People Talk. So, a little bit about me. I am an associate professor and the associate director of the School of Human Resources and Labor Relations at Michigan State University. I have been at MSU for, um, this is my ninth year. And in my job, I get to teach, do research, and I do some consulting on what it is to be a successful worker, how to motivate your employees, how to be an effective leader, and just how to get enjoyment and meaning out of work. Today, we're going to talk about, um, I say royal we, because of this episode, I'm doing it by myself. I'm not having a guest, but throughout this podcast series, um, I will have guests uh, from time to time. Um, Leaders in the field of HR and management, um, people at top organizations that will give you their insights, um, give you advice that can help you be successful. So today... I want to talk about um, an issue that has been really in the popular media all over. It's the issue of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, I'm a person of color. I am an Afro-Latina. My parents came from Panama a few years before I was born. So I know how it is to live in brown skin in the United States. And I know sometimes it hasn't been easy, but you know, I can't say it's been all bad either. I've had a great career. I have a wonderful family and I have a lot of enjoyment. But I think that sometimes uh, being a person of color gives me some perspective. And um, also my training gives me some perspective. I have a PhD in business administration um, and uh, with a concentration organizational behavior and human resources and organizational behavior is essentially um, organizational psychology. And also um, I am a lawyer and I have been a lawyer for um, over 25 years and I practiced employment law. So I wanted to talk about this issue from the context of psychological and management research and some law. So why is diversity important? Well, let's talk about the business case for diversity. Diversity is important because we have an increasingly more diverse United States because of the falling birth rates of white Americans historically and the increase with immigration. We're going to have a country that by the latter half of the 21st century will be more um, non um, it will be more Hispanic white than it will be any other um, t- uh, race, ethnicity than there is. What do these changing demographics mean? Well, it means a lot. It means that if you want to um, 
serve your customers and clients and you want to have a national or a global market, you have to think that one size does not fit all. Another thing is that when you have um, diverse uh, workforce, you have people who could come in with a diversity of uh, perspectives, backgrounds, who, who can speak to your customers. That's not to say that diversity is all uh, walking apart. There have been studies that show that diverse groups at first may have a higher um, amount of conflict. And I'm not just talking about de demographic diversity. Think about the times when you were in a cross-functional team and you had someone from um, marketing, someone from research and development, someone from legal, from someone from HR, you may bump heads in the beginning, right? Because you have all different worldviews. And any type of diversity can cause that. But the good thing about diversity, once again, is that you have those differing perspectives. And so um, in order to solve what we like to call in the scholarly world, we like to call this a National Science uh, Foundation and and um, likes to call it this and other groups, grand challenges, grand societal challenges. Well, then you have to know that um, you need people from diverse backgrounds. You might need an, a chemical engineer, an electrical engineer, and you might need a physicist and you might need, um, you might need someone from marketing and you might need all these different people to get something to market, okay? But recently, with the um, tragic deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, um, it and especially we're living this time of pandemic where people are home, our world has been kind of like set upside down. And we're trying to think about how on earth do we handle some of these issues? Like in some ways the scales have fallen from people's eyes about social injustices that have gone on in the United States. But on the other hand, um, it might have just been that people are saying enough, enough. And so a lot of organizations came out after the death of George Floyd with statements about how Black Lives Matter. And it was interesting because um, uh, there had been high profile cases when people of color had um, died in law enforcement, but something about it was the perfect storm of the pandemic, the, you know, the, the economic downturn, the fact that we have all of these people who are essential workers, who are people of color, and the fact that the um, COVID-19 pandemic has disproportionately affected brown people. And so a lot of people have been thinking about, hey, we need to start thinking about how we do things differently. So how do we do things differently? Well, the fact that you're just thinking that question is a good thing. Um, and you should be commended if you're thinking that because you know it takes more than just people of color to affect change, right? The civil rights movement would not have been where it was if people of all different backgrounds didn't help with that, right? Um, think about Goodman, Schwerner, and Cheney, uh, Mississippi burning. You know, you have people from all different backgrounds who had, you know, put their own lives on the line to kind to um, affect some type of change. So we have a lot of people in HR, and you know, I have my PhD, like I said, in organizational behavior in HR, who are really interested in doing things like issuing diversity statements. Um, looking at their anti-harassment policies and sending folks to training. So I know that recently um, there was a statement from the Trump administration that talked about certain types of training, for which lack of a better word, was 
mm, white bashing was not going to be allowed. And I just say that term as kind of a provocative term because that was what was supposed to imply. This type of training is not white bashing, but it was trying to talk about systemic racism that was um, affecting people of color and um, that training could not be done in the federal agencies, right? Um, and there, but that's on one end of the spectrum. Most companies, most of the Fortune 500, most of the organizations that talk to me and that have relationships with, they're really evaluating what are they doing for diversity. And they've been actually doing it for the last, you know, um, five, 10 years, but really 2020 has really started making them think. So what do you do? And I'm going to say something kind of controversial, but there's good um, science and data behind it. So a lot of companies like to do um, bias training or anti-bias training. And there's some studies that suggest that maybe that doesn't necessarily work. Um, there's a guy named Frank Dobbin and he's from Harvard and I've been on uh, one or two panels with him. He's a very nice man and he cites research and he's talked about it. And he has an article that says uh, why diversity programs fail. And he talks about like how like when you have certain types of training, especially if it's supposed to be like white bashing or making white people feel bad about themselves or any majority group, it will have the opposite effect. People will be hostile uh, toward it. Also, mandatory diversity training does not seem to work. When you make it mandatory, people resent it like your big brother and you're forcing them to do something that they really, really, really don't want to do. Another thing that doesn't um, seem to work is when you um, shame people. You can't shame people when you are um, when you're doing any types of training, right? Um, there, there, are, there are other tactics though that can be more successful. So, like for example, having diversity training. And um, having diversity training in which the um, it's voluntary. One study showed that when it was made voluntary, up to 80% of people um, showed up to the training. And that's really important when you have an organization that rewards diversity. By, reward, by rewarding diversity, that means like what, um, managers and supervisors do to promote diversity. Like, for example, do they expand? Um, do they expand their uh, applicant pool? Like, reaching out to like historically black colleges or historically Hispanic college or tribal colleges to try to get a bigger applicant pool. Do they post um, their jobs in places where they don't normally post them? Like, they may uh, post a job with a um, a Black Association of Professionals or National Black MBAs Association work with them to, to post jobs, doing things like that. So diversity is not about disadvantaging majority members. It's about leveling the playing field. At least I should say inclusion is about that. And diversity is about making sure that you have um, a representation in your um in your uh, workforce that re that reflects the larger uh, work pool of people, labor pool. So casting a wider net. Another thing that research by Frank Dobbin and other people have found is that when you 
cast a wider net, um, that is a great thing. But another thing that you can do that um, can increase your diversity is having women, people of color, persons with disabilities who are in leadership positions within the organization. What does that do? Well, on the, it has uh, a couple of things. The first thing it can do is it can model to other people that yes, we embrace diversity as an organization and it can show people who are, who are members of those groups, hey, I can aspire to this leadership position. The other thing is that people of colors, women, um, people who have been historically marginally groups, um, there is a sense that um, they will be more likely to advocate for uh, things that will promote people who are who have been historically marginalized to get an equal opportunity to be able to um, you know be successful at the organization. Once again, I'm not beating up on on white guys. I'm not. That's not my role here. Matter of fact, I must say that my I, I'm married to a white guy from Alabama. We've been together for almost 30 years. So it's not that um, I'm, I'm beating up on anybody, right? But in saying that what the research shows, and the research shows that you have to have people in leadership positions who are who represent a variety of diverse backgrounds. Did you hear that I did not say diverse people? I have some people that I've worked with and <laughs> uh, who, who say that person is very diverse. Diversity is not a, an individual trait, it's a group trait. It means how much heterogeneity do you have within a group? So let's say you had a group of older black women with one leg and one eye. Let's say you had those people in the group and you will say, and they're just a room of them. They're at a convention of older black women with one eyes and one leg. It's like, it was like a pirate convention. They had the patch and they had the peg leg. And you would, and someone walk by and say, wow, that's a really diverse group. No, it isn't. It's not diverse because it's very homogeneous, right? At least demographically, you know, you have age, you have gender, you have race, you have um, you have disability, and so um, that would not be a um, that would not be a diverse group. You want to have people from different backgrounds. You want to have people from different um, you know, different perspectives, and also. You want to have different people with different personalities. And so let me break down diversity to even another level. Diversity isn't just um, demographic. It's having people from different backgrounds, from different types of schools, is from it's different types of personalities. Something that I see, and I mentor a lot of students, I spend a significant amount of time mentoring students. And I see that a lot of my students who are more extroverted get job offers um, quicker than people who are less extroverted. But some of these jobs are jobs like, oh, let me pick a job, where they wouldn't have a lot of contact with people. They're crunching numbers and things like that. And so I'm thinking, hmm, why do you want an extrovert to do that? Why would you want to hire someone who would, would be in a cubicle all day, like crunching numbers. Well, a lot of times the um, the recruiters or the hiring people are extroverts and like 
likes like, and like breeds like. They want people who remind them of themselves, but that's not necessarily the best person for the task. And one book that I absolutely, absolutely love, and many of you have probably read it, is called Susan Cain, Quiet. And in that book, um, she talks about how introverts are, you know, people like to diss on those introverts, right? You know, we reward extroversion. We give points for people who talk in class. We hire the person or oftentimes we, we find more desirable that extroverted type of person. But you know what? This world really, we would all be like probably dead from polio or cancer, or we'd be riding around in like, you know, like horse and buggies if it weren't for the introverts, because the introverts have a tendency to be our scientists. They have the tendency to be their scholars, not everybody. Later on in my podcast series, I'm going to have one of my friends on from the College of Engineering, and he is really an extroverted engineer. But, you know, but in general, a lot of times the people who do a lot of the behind the scenes things that make our lives wonderful are introverted persons. And so we have a tendency to reward introversion and I'm sorry, extroversion and not remember those introverted people. So know that diversity also means um, diversity of uh, personality as well. Finally, I want to talk about um, how you can be a diversity champion. And even if you think that, oh, it's like, I want everyone to sing Kumbaya and all of that type of stuff. It, it's not, ha it doesn't have to do with that. It has to do with not only from my own personal standpoint. And I always tell my daughter, I have a, I have a teenager and I tell her it's not, I am not going to push my ethics on other people. I can tell you what my ethics are, but I'm not going to push my ethics on other people. I believe that it's an ethical thing to want to treat people fairly, whoever they are, and that people, everyone deserves respect unless they've given you a reason to not have your respect, right? Um, so that's those, those are some other things. But I think that a lot of people are passionate about the, about the notion of being a good ally. And I know this past weekend, um, the person who was the guest host for uh, Saturday Night Live got in trouble because he made some kind of off-color comments about white women um, hijacking the quote-unquote woke movement. And it, 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 it blew up Twitter. A lot of people were really like thinking, wow, this is some crazy stuff. But it resonated with some people. And so at, for, for people who are not members of, of marginalized groups or people who are not people of color, I want to encourage you, if your heart is telling you that you should be a, um, an ally, be an ally, but also remember the voices of the people that you're purporting to represent. Like it would be kind of odd if you have a, hom a homogeneous um, diversity committee in your organization, even or if it's hom homogeneous and you want to make it more diverse, you need to, to look out and like consult with other people to get the voices of other people. Number one, because you don't want to co-opt or uh, appropriate anybody's message or voice that um, that they want to um, uh, 
tell the world, right? You don't want to co-opt anybody's message. But the other thing is that if you're not in that position, you might not have all the perspective. Um, I'm gonna end on an interesting uh, point. Um, I saw a study that said that empathy training is not always good. There's some, there's some uh, studies that have shown that empathy training can make people uh, take the perspective of minorities and other marginalized groups. Uh, but there's also studies that show that empathy training can make people more hostile because they're looking at themselves, like the way they think a minority or minority a marginalized group may look at them. And then they say, wow, if I were in that person's shoes, I would really not like me. So that person apparently doesn't like me. So I don't like people who don't like me. So that creates a problem. So that sounds really, really weird, but there's studies that have shown that. Um, there's also been some studies that show that perspective taking can help, but it depends on the um, it depends on the person doing it and the nature and the extent of the empathy training that is done that's well done. And I don't think any certain person or group has a corner on doing diversity training, empathy training, anti bias, anti racism training. It just needs to be a person who's really uh, aware of the good science. Uh, to, because organizational psychology, that's a science. Um, and even though there are no laws of a human behavior, like E equals MC squared, there's some things that we know generally follow through about human beings. In some ways, human beings are very predictable. Um, one last thing, do not think that diversity training is the, or anti-bias training is the, is the panacea. I want to underscore that because there are some studies have actually shown that for some people who are against it, it actually makes them better at being biased, okay? So I'm gonna wrap up with that. I'm gonna, this is such a big issue and I have so much more that I could say about it, but I'm gonna talk about it later in this podcast series. If you are interested in um, these types of topics, please continue. Next time we're going to have a, um, an interesting talk by a really great, um, a really great uh, vice president of HR. He's going to come and talk about uh, HR issues. I'm gonna keep it a surprise the next time who that's going to be. And um, if you're interested and you want to drop me an email and ask me a question, just contact me at athall at msu.edu. Thanks a lot. And I hope that you will tune in again soon to another um, episode of People Talk with Angela Hall. Thanks for listening to another episode of People Talk with Angela Hall. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. And remember to subscribe to our show. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.